Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Bad Beats episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about to make the legendary worst deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor. Hi and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith, owner of Royal Legal Solutions. I'm your home for all things real estate, investor, asset protection. It's a one-shot stop here for investors. And I just wanted to welcome to our show today, Lane, who is a good friend of mine, a phenomenal real estate investor. He's going to be sharing with us the dirty laundry of his life with worst deals, bad beat he went through. So, Lane, what do we need to know about you here today to get some context for your story? Yeah, so I'm a working engineer. I still work the day job. I started probably about 10 years ago investing with single family homes, did the turnkeys out of state, Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis is where I started. I got up to almost a dozen properties doing that for almost seven, eight years and then switch to being a limited partner in syndications. Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. What led you to do that? Well, I got to a point. I was always on this bandwagon of like, yeah, I'm going to get 30 houses, you know, $300 a piece. And then I'll get to my $10,000 goal of passive income. Then I got to about 11 of them and I realized there was like an eviction or two every year. And then four big catastrophes that happened every year, like someone stealing an HVAC or HVAC breaks or big plumbing issue, like it rained and the rain went somewhere. And that was only with 11 properties. So if you kind of just do them, it's just law of averages. If I had 30 houses, it would be like an eviction every other month and like a big catastrophe every month. And I was just like, man, it's just like not scalable. And at the time I started to go into different networking events, started to actually pay for some of these things and fly to it. In the group were also engineers, doctors, lawyers, more higher level guys and little older than myself. And they were all kind of saying, man, we wish we had stopped that single family stuff a long time ago. Syndications and a multifamily apartments were kind of what they were doing. And I just realized I need to kind of follow the people with my pedigree. And I kind of got started with that stuff. All right. That makes sense, man. It sounds like it's a pretty bad experience for you having 11 homes into it. And you were managing them all yourself, right? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty easy. It wasn't that bad. It was just the writing was on the wall, right? And just sheer numbers, just multiply that number by three to get the number I wanted. It just wasn't scalable was, was the thing. Yeah, and definitely, the, right? Yeah, the exactly. returns were great. As I'm trying to sell off my single family homes now, I've been holding on to these properties for a few years now. And I suspect that this... Cap X is going to come hit you somewhere between year and five and year 10, and it's going to take back all the profits. Hmm. Well, I hope you don't lose all the profits. That'd be rough. But what did you have for today? For what was your bad beat for today? You want to dive into that? Yeah. So I started investing as a limited partner a long time ago, probably back in 2011, 2012. I had some money in my self-directed Roth IRA. And with that Roth IRA, you can't really put into Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans or no, turnkey rental because you got to pay all that UDFI tax and all that kind of stuff. So you're kind of limited to going after investments with no debt associated with the investment. So I didn't really know what a self-directed Roth IRA, that was kind of new to me. So I got my money out of Wall Street. I put it into self-directed account. 
and I was all ready to go, but I didn't know what to invest in. So I asked the IRA custodian for a referral, like, what do people invest in? So he referred me to this one outfit, which kind of turned out to be a shyster. They basically were kind of running a little Ponzi scheme. And that was pretty much the overall of it. What was the assets they were trying to get you into? Like some pieces of real estate or a single multifamily homes or something or what? Yeah, they were buying up single family homes, C-class, D-class properties. And the deal was you signed this contract. It wasn't quite a registered security or like a PPM, like a 506B or 506C. But because I had sort of title to the property at the day, they didn't need to go down that reg exemption filing. But nevertheless, I was a limited partner. So the deal was I was going to put up all the money for the property. So I put it in about $43,000 and I would have title to this property. And the arrangement was that they were going to pay me a fixed rate. I think it was like 9%. Yeah, 9%. And the deal was when the property sold and it was performing to sell in five years, that we would split the equity share. So whatever it sold for $53,000, we would split that $10,000 profit. So I would get 5,000, they would get 5,000. That would all go in by a self-directed IRA. That was the arrangement, but very shortly after, I kind of was doing my internet research on the folks. There was a lot of bad press on them and a lot of other people, highly respected people were saying, yeah, I would not work with those guys. They've kind of done this in the past. Mm. Yeah, so, but a couple of years went by, problems still collecting my 9% checks and everything was fine, but then things started to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, what, what happened, let's, let's get into that in a second. Let's go back to the beginning of this. Of like, How do you actually get yourself into a deal? Like, what were you searching for when you found these guys? I was naive and I didn't know anything. I was in that stage one of four learning. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't really have any checking for me. I just went off the referral off an IRA custodian. And sometimes those referrals aren't that really that great because they're not investors themselves. And I think I broke the cardinal rule of you don't work with people you don't know, like, or trust. Mm -hmm. I'll add on to that. You don't work with people with that aren't one degree of separation. So today I go to all the mastermind clubs so I can get around other limited partners to verify the deals that these operators are. Because it's one thing to network with the operators or the general partners or the GPs, but I think it's more important to go and network with the other limited partners. So when a deal does come up, you can kind of go around your network and kind of ask around, hey, have you heard of this guy, Scott Smith? Gotcha. So that's really what your verification pool is from. So you're kind of like crowdsourcing the info from Right, right. You talk to a lead for 20 minutes, it's going to be the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. But you don't know if it's true or not, or complete garbage. No, well, you need somebody else that's got deeper into the relationship with them to be able to tell you what that's really like, right? That's why you're trying to save yourself some time. Isn't right, right. And they're unbiased, right? And they're going to tell it to you straight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So were you looking for to buy? I mean, you had the self-directed IRA custodian. Was it one of those pieces that you were saying, hey, well, you know, I really want to move this piece of property or I really want to get into real estate with it. They refer you over to those guys as one of the people and you trust them because somebody else that you already know like you trust, right? Well, I didn't really know. I don't remember which company it was because I was kind of interviewing 20, 30 different self-directed IRA companies. Oh, okay. Dime a dozen. Oh, yeah. And they really are. I mean, dime a dozen, right? Okay, so you get into the deal with these guys, you give the money to hold title to the property, so you probably feel pretty safe at that point, right? 
fair to say? Like, is you like, hey, I have title of property. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? No, I think I'm wrong. I was getting my 9% check, whatever that is, you know, three-fourths of a percent every month for at least a couple of years there, I think. But I think one day we get this letter saying, oh, the investment's not going very well. We're going to, this LLC that was kind of the deal maker in the deal is going bankrupt, right? It's strategic bankruptcy. You have several options. You can take us to court. You can take back the property deed in lieu, which is what I did. Or you can just kind of wait it out, which is not a good option. <laughs> when I kind of went back in the records, you can see that the taxes weren't paid earlier. And that's what happened with my buddy's property who was in the same position. You can point back to like what actually what happened, right? I'm just being speculative here. The operator probably stopped paying the taxes a year ago. And they're just siphoning off the profits. And it was all a strategic game to get to this point, year three, and then say, oops, sorry, guys, we're closing up shop. What's the deal with having to wait till year three? That's just probably when they burnt off all the liquidity in the account. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah. So there's not something special that I don't know about. I was like, man, in the law or something like that. It's like, oh, after three years, or a totally different. No, situation. no. That's no. just when their, the Ponzi scheme went up. That's right. Like fundraising, right? Right. It was small enough where I just didn't want to get involved with, you know, doing, taking legal action. It was small off money. And especially because it was in my self-directed IRA, I wanted to get rid of that thing anyway. I'm not a believer in the self-directed IRA or any QRPs. I'd rather have my money out of it and not pay all these fees and taxes. So I was kind of all over it. And my time was better spent at the time I was doing multifamily. So focusing on analyzing deals and meeting other partners. And my time was just more important than dealing with taking legal action. So yeah, I just kind of walked away. So is it really like the whole thing went from great to bust overnight? I mean, there really wasn't really much of a red flag before you got the letter, right? Yeah, I mean, for all I knew, I didn't have any boots in the ground, so I didn't know. Yeah, well, you couldn't really know anything besides like maybe what, check in the tax rules, like that level of due diligence. I bet I doubt anybody does that with... Right, and even then you're like a year behind too. Yeah, 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 for sure, right? But even in the JV deals that you do now with people with like limited partnership interests, do you check the taxes on whether those guys are paying them every year? Not really. I mean, you get your monthly statements. So you're able to check verify their bank account statements. It's just done a lot more formally with what I like. These PPMs, these Mm -hmm. operating agreements, just a lot more transparency, which is why I like single asset LLC deals as opposed to blind pools. I think you see a lot of blind pool deals where the operator just has too much leeway. And we all know what people do with long leashes. They go and hang themselves eventually. Do you think people are going more into the blind pools because of the getting promised higher returns? I think people get sold on the marketing angle that, hey, you can get diversification via these blind pools. Normally, the unsophisticated investor goes into the blind pools more because they buy into that. The more sophisticated investors, they want to know what the asset is. They want to underwrite it themselves. They want to pull the P&Ls, the Brent rolls, and check it themselves. And they want to be able to, after the investment is made, have pretty transparent what's happening. It's pretty simple. Whereas a blind pool, things are going all over the place, right? Assets are being sold, transactions are being made. You don't know what assets for. I mean, it's kind of a recipe for disaster. Most of the scams you hear about are all about the blind pools for fixing and flipping properties. Yeah, for sure. But I think that's a really good point. I'm wondering, we have a lot of listeners, I'm sure, that are using self-directed IRA funds and solo 401ks to try to invest with tax-free money. 
And I heard you mentioned earlier, it said that you're not really a believer in those. I was wondering if you would share with us some more of that context of what turned you off to using those types of vehicles for investment. Yeah, so a couple of things. They say you're saving on taxes, but you're going to pay taxes at some point. You're just going to kick the can down the road. I personally would rather pay taxes today when my taxable income is less today. I don't know you guys, but I plan on making more money in the future. A lot of people have heartburn over paying like a penalty, like a 10% penalty. But if you're making like only 8% in the stock market with your 401k or your IRA, and compare it to like just being in like a syndication at just the bare minimum, like 15%, which is pretty conservative. The crossover point with the 10% penalty is like 18 months. And then after that, it's all gravy. I mean, I think the numbers do it all. And if you're still doing your single family homes, doing it yourself and not jumping in as a limited partner in a syndication, I mean, even it makes more sense because a lot of these, you can't leverage self-directed money. You can if you use like a non-recourse loan, but then I mean, now you're talking about instead of taking a loan at 5%, you're like at 6%, 6% and instead of like an 80% loan to value, now they knock you down to like 70 or even 60 or even 50% loan to value, which completely kills the deal. Those are kind of my reasons why I'm kind of against it. And at any point, the government can change the rules on you. You just want to get it out of that arrangement. And the IRA custodians and all those guys, they're the ones pushing it because they make great fees when you're in those accounts and you're trapped with them. Yeah, I think there's some type of feeling of being trapped once you start having money in a tax-free scenario if you don't feel like you can pull it out. If your belief is that like the government's going to change things at any moment and I want to have total control of this and nobody else can tell me what to do with that or things changing. That totally makes sense. Right. If you're new to this real estate investing thing and you've got a lot of money in your 401k or IRA, yeah, you might want to set up a self-directed IRA, but try and take the money out slowly. Don't take it all at one time. Take it out strategically so you don't go into that next highest tax bracket. I think that's a good way of playing it. That's awesome. Well, Lane, I mean, great story today with getting into a bad view to the Ponzi scheme. I think that the Ponzi schemes are really hard to sniff out. Is there anything that you think in hindsight that you would have done differently to sniff out the Ponzi scheme before you end up getting into it? It's one of those things where you just have to surround yourself with the right people. I didn't have any network at that point. And a lot of people, they would have never invested in as a limited partner again. But I kind of debunked that. I'm kind of going all into syndication deals these days. But yeah, it's all your network. I think people hear that, oh, your net worth is your network cliche. And it doesn't really make sense until you get all that single family home stuff into Mm. the bigger stuff. Good point, Lane. I mean, I think it really is. One of the struggles that I had originally starting out many years ago was that every time I went networking, I always felt like I was wasting my time meeting a bunch of people that couldn't help me. And then over the years, I would have one relationship that would come off of that. But then that was that one relationship ended up being like a dial mover for me. Magnitudes of growth just because of one relationship that I met. Have you had any of that experience where it's like you kind of have to kiss a lot of toads to find a few people that can really help you? Yeah, and I would say like, I had the same experience. When I was going to the local RIA, I really found nobody there. Everybody was into buying single family homes, fixing and flipping wholesaling properties, which is exactly what I don't do. I'm like a working professional. I got money to invest. I don't have time. So I'm more of a passive buy and hold investor. And people who are usually going to the local RIA, they want to be next to the property, want to feel they want to touch it. Not until I started to spend some cash and go to these higher level meetings was when I started to actually meet 
real investors. I think that's the key. You have to pay to play it in a way. Get into more target-rich environments where there's actually people who are kind of serious about this. And I don't think the local RIA is going to be where you're going to find these. Definitely not in the fix and flipper realm. Yeah, definitely. And, and it really depends, I think, on your income level, right? If you don't have a lot of money, but you're just tiptoeing into something, maybe that's a good place to start, meet a group or whatnot. But then I find that the groups that I've had to pay to be a part of are the ones that are where I really have really high. You don't have to kiss them any toes, right? <laughs> to be right. To it depends what you're trying to find, right? Like if you're a fix and flipper, then cool, like go to those. But if you're a buy and hold investor, more passive investor, you need to find those kinds of people. Yeah. Because you're trying to like motivate capital and let it sit. Because you're not trying to run a business, you're trying to invest, which is two totally different things. Like the builders are really trying to say, oh, I want to run an active business. That's not investing. That's running a business. Investing is where you can put money into something. It works for you. You're not having to touch it or worry about it besides looking at the quarterly statement or, or whatever way that you're going to do that, right? Exactly. Cool. I mean, a lot of great lessons here today into it. Sounds like that Ponzi scheme. That's real son of a gun on that one. Right, I think you're right. It's like it really comes down into the network that you have and to really network to check people out more than just the people they refer to you to say, hey, go check out and talk to my buddy Bob. My buddy Bob will tell you that I'm great. Like find somebody else that's some deals with them and really been successful with that. So thanks for the advice on that one today. And if anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, if you want to reach out to me, check out my podcast, Simple Passive Cashflow. And we talk about buy and hold investing, investing in turnkeys and syndications. And if you guys want access to my analyzer, shoot me an email lane at Simple Passive Cashflow or sign up for the newsletter there. I'm always looking to chat with other investors, looking where they're investing in, because I'm always trying to look for that next deal too. I think that's the hard thing these days. Yeah, where is that next deal, right? Especially in a market that's so hot. So. We'll have to just figure that out, keep our nose to the grindstone or ears to the ground and see where that's at. Yeah, so I, I look forward to the flaunt lane. I haven't actually haven't signed up for your newsletter yet, but I will. I want to take a look at the tool that you have there. I bet that's a pretty neat tool that you put together for. And I'm always trying to look for better ways for me to analyze deals myself. So thanks for that, making it available to everybody. And everybody, thanks. So this is a, an episode of the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith, signing off for now. Go check out Lane's podcast. It gets great. And he has some cool tools for you there. So be sure to reach out to him if you're looking inside of the syndication deals. And Lane, thanks again for coming. And uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks. That's all for this Bad Beats episode. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. Did you see yourself in any part of that story? I know I did. If you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in the sleeping masses of what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day. Thanks, and I'll see you again soon.